0: Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. Powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter, at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the president of The Witness, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Bluecheck, Verified himself. You even got the, the jacket to
1: match today. you wearing blue, blue? so you're just okay. a human All blue right. check. that's
0: it. <laughs> Jamar Tisby, what's going on,
1: brother? Hey, man, I'm excited. We have some very intelligent listeners who have offered their questions, so I always love these where we can really get into it, you know what I'm saying? Again, what's up, Dallas? How y'all doing?
0: So I just want to make sure everybody knows where we're at, okay? Yes, yes, yes. Now, we got some amazing questions, and I'm just going to start running down the list of these questions and you guys can keep tweeting at us, PTM 200. Um, Dee Dee Rowe asks, how you doing, Dee, Dee? How you doing? I don't <laughs> know where you're at. But she asks, are there any plans for a regular black woman personality within Pass the Mic?
1: First of all, I appreciate that question. And we are committed to learning from black women and honoring black women, because historically, they've lived at the intersection of both race and gender and have experienced the worst effects of marginalization that come with those. And for some, if you add poverty to it, like one of my heroes, Fannie Lou Hamer, had all of that, and yet (laughs) she still became a a staunch civil rights activist, uh, a a, a powerful woman of faith. And so, yeah, we want to honor black women, and, and part of that is including their voices.
0: Yeah, we also want to give space for black women to do what they desire to do, not just to come on and right. add to what we do.
1: Make their own we're a, you know,
0: yeah. yeah, like we want to provide space and provide room for black women to do, because it's not just truth-telling for black women as well. It's It may be, I don't know, it may be something that's completely, maybe self-care, it may be involvement in activism practically in ways that we wouldn't be. I mean, that's why we've interviewed so many black women on the podcast, so... Absolutely. But we also want to make sure that we're not as well just parachuting them in. Right. You know, we hope that, man, I hope that we pass the mic. This is not about us. Like, I hope eventually someone else takes over past the mic. So if that's you, pray and and come (laughs) see us. But I hope eventually someone else will take over. And we also
1: have great um, spaces out there like Truth's Table. Uh, Shout out to Truth's Table. Three Black Christian women just slaying the game theologically, culturally, intellectually. And so it's not just about making room in an already established spaces, It's about creating new spaces for new voices. Absolutely.
0: Um, Lauren asks, I've been considering practical... Hi, Lauren. I don't know where you are. Hi. Uh, <laughs> I've been considering practical applications for seeking racial justice and wondering how appropriate it would be to attend a primarily African-American church. Would that be an invasion of a restful space?
1: Hmm.
0: I think it's a great question. Why don't you start? I would say, you know, I think it's the reason why we go into predominantly black circles must be interrogated internally, because I think a lot of it comes down to motive. And I think in many ways, um, the question should be, are you joining an African-American church? Um, and I'm not saying this is you, but some people join African-American churches, I've seen, because I'm, I'm in one, as a, a form of penance, um, and so they join as a form of righting the wrongs of their past. And so based upon that, they join because they... they oh, man, I want to make sure I'm not, I'm not oppressing. I'm sure I'm not a part of the system. So let me join you to do... But are, are you really trying to be involved in the vision and mission of that particular house? Are you trying to commit to that particular community? And if you are, I think that's a wonderful thing. Now, if every white person does that, that's well, right. then we have colonization... But if you do that and you feel that that's the best thing for your family, I say go for it. But make sure that this is a person, you know, as the pastor or the leaders, they're people you can follow and people you believe in, not just as a general symbol that you think would look nice um, or would sound good. Make sure that the heart behind it is I want to commit to this body and this people.
1: Yeah, because at the end of the day, you're going to submit to that church's leadership and you've got to be ready to submit to black people in a church context where... Bro,
0: y'all just send in like 30 questions.
1: <laughs> <laughs> where in, a, in the rest of society, very few times do white people have to submit to black people in authority. So that's, that's going to be a major shift for some people. As well, I think that question comes from, is it okay for a white person to worship at a black church? I think part of that question is they're worried about sort of like, you know, ecclesi- ecclesiastical gentrification. Sure. Uh, where we're moving into this church context, and we're going to change it, and and I think the people who ask that don't want to do that, right? right. And I would say, in terms of a power dynamic, it's fine because when you go to a black church, you're not going to yeah, be not going to take over, <laughs> not, <laughs> you know, they are not, not going to take over. I'll um, let you do that. But like you said, if it's if it's everybody at the same time, then it's going to change the tenor.
0: Uh, Jamal, uh, he asked, what do you think about the Gospel Coalition MLK 50 event overall?
1: with a lot of white evangelical attempts to address race, I think it's necessary but not sufficient. So necessary in the sense that folks need to hear these hard-hitting sermons like I know went on throughout the event. They need to be challenged by black people and other people of color Uh, We need opportunities to come together across racial lines and remember that because of the gospel, what unites us is stronger than what divides us. However, what often happens is that momentary occasion and those words spoken there are all that remain. Uh, And it's not attached to, not only to substantive change, but systemic change, right? That, That we are flipping the way we even think about church and, and power and structures and whatnot. So I think it blessed the people who went. Absolutely. Um, and, and I'm, a lot and of I'm people grateful who watched for it. Well. Bless folks who watched, and I'm grateful for it. I, I just think as an organization, The Witness and Pass the Mic, we are taking the stance that rather than spend most of our time as we were doing, sort of arguing for the fact that justice and systemic racism and these kinds of things belong in the conversation we want to actually help propel that conversation and do and as well as hear from people who are doing
0: yeah i would say you know i think it was it was good and the parts and clips that i heard were even encouraging in some places i think sometimes i don't understand the framing around statements that we make regarding racial justice there's one I hear a lot and often. It was one of the most famous quotes within that came out of that camp was the idea that, man, if our if, if our political alliances aren't connected with God, then we crucify our political alliances. To which I would say, yeah, we don't worship political parties, you know, but like, man, I'm not concerned about the Democrats. I'm not concerned about the Republicans. I'm not concerned. And, but I mean, me, I hear, man, we better organize. I mean, you yeah. know, I'm just yeah. saying that has a real impact in our community. And so I'm trying to figure out who are you speaking to, and in speaking to, to someone that way, do you realize the way that's disconnected from King's legacy, someone who is definitely politically active and involved? Hopefully that doesn't mean we're separating from all political activity. Hopefully it just means we don't worship our political party and we don't become partisan, which is a good thing. But at the same time, I hope we're, I hope we're framing this in a, in a mentality of not just third-way Mm-hmm. Good good intention, good feeling, sentimentality. King called it uh what did he say, pious irrelevancies. And, and, I mean those those are are good things to say, and I mean they sound great, but what does this mean? Yeah. And is this just like a, a vacuum? We're stepping into a vacuum. No, we live in a real world. That's right. That's right. And there are some people we don't want in office. And That's can right. we be honest about that? You know, I
1: mean like we have feet on the ground here in the world, and we're we're so heavenly minded not to be earthly good, right? So I, I think a lot of that permeates American Christianity as the, the, the holier way is to transcend politics and, and, and all of these things. The fact is, when you get in the voting booth, if you, if you vote, <laughs> then you need to pick someone. And that's, that's where we live. That's, that's the world we live in. So right, let's just right, acknowledge right. that. Yeah, yeah, we can stay there.
0: Um. <laughs> Josh, oh man, so many questions. Okay, I'll ask Josh's question. How can churches biblically and practically deal with the rage and trauma found in their minority members?
1: You know, one, one thing, the first thing that comes to mind is a lot of times if a church is majority white, they want to shut down any minority gathering. Like, we can't have space to, to lament or grieve or rage and have that catharsis because it's seen as divisive, self-segregating, all of those things. Uh, but like you pointed out in our 200th episode, uh, folks who have not been a part of the black experience or the minority experience want to jump into that conversation midstream, and you can't do that. And there also have to be times, so it's it's also purposeful, right? Like, it's not a permanent detachment from the body it's temporary to re-energize to go back into an environment where you're a minority because it's exhausting so one of the things that churches can do is allow space for that and not automatically denigrate it as divisive if black folk want to get together with other black folk for the purpose of dignity and solidarity so that they might gain the energy to endure (laughs) being a person of color in America and the church Mark asked this question. Do you
0: still consider yourself Reformed? And what parts of Reformed theology
1: have you kept or discarded?
0: Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Go ahead, bro.
1: As a representative of Reformed theology. We the witness now. I feel like I don't have to answer that question. No, um... You know, just speaking for Jamar, I'd say doctrinally, a lot of things. I'm still what one would call reformed, and that has to do a lot with sovereignty and soteriology, right? So, just sort of the centrality of God, that the Bible is a book first and foremost about God and not about us, but about us in relation to God and what God, who God is, and and, and how He acts in the world, um, and and that God is the center of the gravitational center of reality, and that has ripple effects into. His sovereignty in salvation and over all events. Um, So I think there's that part. But I also recognize that all theology comes out of a cultural context. Sure. And so a lot of white Reformed folks think, well, this is just how you read the Bible, or this is just biblical truth. This is not part of a culture. And I'm like, nah, you're coming from a culture too. You're quick to recognize my culture and usually you know, put it in a second-class status. But I think one of the things that differentiates who we are as black folks who may find some affinities to reformed theology is that we also recognize that the preachers, the pastors, the authors, they are coming out of a cultural context that is predominantly white, and so we need to carefully interrogate some of those things that they're saying are simply biblical. We need
0: to also put this wave of reformed theology it, it didn't just pop up out of the ground. There was a, a cultural context. And I'll just speak for myself that uh, early on when I embraced Reformed theology, one of the things, one of the reasons, the main reasons why I embraced it is because I felt my own tradition was, was deficient and insufficient. And that was because I didn't know my own tradition. What I perceived about my own tradition, what they told me was wrong with my own tradition, How they presented my own tradition made me look at my own tradition with, and it's flawed, just like any other group, but it made me look at it with skeptical eyes. Now that I've studied my own tradition, I don't think I need to, I think what I have is sufficient. Right. That's not to say I don't pull from other sources, but the exodus, a lot of the mass exodus toward reform theology was based upon stiff arming the black church. And so if that's the reforms you want, if you want me to cling to that and stiff arm the Black Church, nah, I'm, I'm off that. But if you're saying, do you still glean from Reformed theologians and writers, and uh, absolutely. Would I classify myself as Reformed? No. There's a, there's, you don't classify yourself as evangelical, do you? No. Nope. Well, how do you do Reformed and, and not evangelical?
1: Uh, well, there's a long history, but uh I'm I'm curious. Yeah. That's just
0: a curious. I wasn't I wasn't got gotcha your question.
1: I was curious. Very long story. I don't want to go off. Okay. All right, all right, put but, a pin uh, in that. Richard, all right, they're not that. they're not synonymous, is all I'm saying.
0: Okay, no, that's fine. That's fine. Um I believe it's Tyshawn, She asked, um, what guest do you think would be the most controversial to interview? <laughs> um
1: yeah. To controversial which... to who? Like, yeah, exactly, thing, like exactly. I don't know.
0: Um I don't know. Some are, some our are critics?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a few vocal critics. Did
0: we invite one, that one vocal critic that we that we, we didn't invite? Okay. I was curious if we invited him Because if there's the not going to be a
1: charitable attempt to understand, yeah. you know.
0: Well, I mean, or, I guess controversial, I mean, I don't know. Colin Kaepernick, Kyle Addis. Yeah,
1: we'll get Colin yeah, Kaepernick. Yeah, Colin. I mean, yeah. No, <laughs> you know, so it depends Somebody on the audience. Somebody send him this podcast, by the way. It depends on the audience. I think some of the... Um, well-known people in the Black Church might be controversial to certain parts you, of the. You know who I want. Wh- you know
0: who I would want to interview. This might be really controversial. Oof. Like TD Jakes, I want to interview TD Jakes. Wow.
1: <clears throat>
0: <laughs> I would love to do that. I would okay. love to Unpack talk that. with TD Jakes. Unpack that. I'm very curious. I, I'm very curious about some of the questions that weren't, at, and some of the things that I know kind of behind the scenes. I'm very curious about some of the questions that weren't broached, even in something like The Elephant Room. I'm very curious. I just want to pick his brain a little bit. He, do- he, does-, he does these mind things with people, and he's a very deft public speaker. And so what he does when he gets an interview, he ends up interviewing you. <laughs> <laughs> like he reads you while you're trying to read him. I want to kind of get around that. See what he really thinks.
1: All right, T.D. Jakes, the gauntlet has been thrown. I mean, I'm not trying. <laughs> Come no, on, man. I'm-
0: Uh, Javetta. Hi, Javetta. She said, do you feel like we do you feel like we're headed towards resegregation? Seems like it's necessary in order to maintain sanity and mental health.
1: So you used a phrase that I thought was very helpful.
0: Yeah, I would just say, you know, centering is not segregation. So I think we're moving towards centering our perspective and centering our history. That's not segregation. That's just appreciation. Now, if you're saying segregation is completely being exclusively pro pro black, just only black, that's it. I don't. I don't think so. I don't think we've ever really been there. Right. It's been a weird place. Yeah. It's it's been a weird place because I don't think we've ever truly been integrated, and so it's it's kind of weird. I I don't think. I think we're gonna kind of be in between those.
1: And I think that 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 sort of concern partly arises from what the dominant white culture has told us that it's a bad thing for black people to be together. It's not, (laughs) Um, because if you're in the majority, you always want the minority group to come and help populate your group, although it never changes the power dynamic. Hmm. So they don't recognize the costliness of black folks entering into predominantly white spaces. And because of that costliness, we actually need to have times to refuel and recharge. And I'll also say this. We talk more and more about trauma because we are recognizing the emotional damage that is taking place because of racism, even in places like the church. And so for me, honestly, since November 2016, (laughs) I have had to what I, I, I call I am evangelical adjacent. So I don't call myself evangelical, but neither will I completely cut myself off from those who do. But I also recognize that it is toxic for me where I am in terms of my mental state and emotional state to be immersed in a white evangelical culture that is, you have to labor so hard simply to recognize, simply for others to recognize your Equal status as heirs and co-heirs, and not second-class citizens in the household of God. So I'm just not going to put myself through that. And that may change, and uh, people listening may be in a different place. That's fine. But I think we have to give ourselves permission as Black Christians to say, "I need a break." Like I just
0: <laughs> Some of these questions, y'all sending like 20 more questions. Um, <laughs> Tim, great. what's up, Tim? How you doing, brother? Hello. <laughs> How would either of you flesh out the justice versus social justice debate? I hear some of my brothers and sisters say Christ was about justice, not social justice. Social justice is just a political ploy masked in religion. I'm trying to figure out if, if it's just justice, where does it happen? Like, does, it, does it happen in society? Does not happen in culture? Does not happen on your street? Like,
1: where, where? This is so deep because that question, that arises in conversation with like, white culture. Yeah, like black folk, what? I think a lot of people, the reason why they say justice versus social justice is
0: because justice to them is like, I like black people. Justice to them is, I have black friends. Not, there is something that the right ordering of society according to the kingdom of God, which should come on earth as it is in heaven, is a kingdom of justice, just practice. Just order, just laws, just society, just community. And I think what we tend to see is justice, and this is why conversation—this how every conversation starts in the South. Whenever you're talking with someone on that other side, they'll say, man, well, I've been, man people have been mean to me too. And that's not what I'm talking about. No, I'm talking about a structure, a systemic building of injustice that has influenced everything, has permeated even the way you look at me and how you frame this conversation.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Like this colonization goes so deep that we don't even recognize that that is a question that has been foisted upon us. That's not a question that arises from really within the minority experience. If you think of the genesis of the black church in America, it was under slavery. And so the issue of justice was never something separate from either the gospel or society. It was always integrated. And so where does it come from that we're questioning justice versus social justice? Why is that even a difference? That's because in the mind of the majority there is. But if we decolonize and arise from our own experience of reading theologically the Bible and trying to interpret our experiences through the lens of the Bible, justice makes sense to people who are oppressed. It doesn't make sense to the oppressor.
0: (laughs) That's good, bro. Uh, D asks, and a lot of people ask this, like, if we're in the civil rights moment, what's next? And D asks, do you think... The black exodus from white evangelical churches and spaces also includes creating and opening and attending HBCU like seminaries theology schools in lieu of mainstream majority white evangelical schools.
1: <laughs> yes, it goes back to what you were saying about your tradition has enough in it. Absolutely, I, I didn't find out about Bishop
0: College. Bishop College it was like a hotbed. It was it was a school where black ministers and preachers were taught. And some of the who's who names, Ralph West, who spoke at MLK 50, came from Bishop College, Terry Anderson, uh, I believe Freddie Haynes, uh, Major Jemison, uh, Fred Sampson, there's a pastor in my city of a very large primitive, he's actually the president of the National Primitive Baptist Association, Elder Bernard Yates, he came from Bishop College. And Bishop was like this hotbed, and it ended, I think it was the year I was born, 1988. And so it's crazy to think about the fact that we didn't know about these institutions and that many of them don't exist today. And there are some kind of equivalents. But the way in which Bishop trained the next crop of African-American pastors, I'll say this. You have to understand that there are a lot of pastors, black pastors of black churches out there, that are far bigger than you think and far more effective in the community than you think. We've just been trained not to see them. Mm. And so I just want to let you know there's a lot of these pastors that are faithful, and their church has thousands of members, and they're doing this, they're training people. And so what I would say is there needs to be some sort of coalition. I'm encouraged by Dr. Frank Thomas um, of Christian Theological Seminary, who will be on the podcast in a few weeks. We've already recorded his interview. And he he actually is the chairman of the first PhD program in African-American preaching and sacred rhetoric in the history of the world. And so he is training up and aiming for in the next 10 years to release 30 to 35 minted PhDs into the world just solely on black preaching and, and, and sacred rhetoric. Mm. And I think that would transform the scope of the church if they continue to start institutions, if that becomes a pipeline. That's just one thing that I, I'm, I'm thinking. But yes, I think there, there has to be some sort of prioritization. If if we're just giving scholarships to people to go into white-centered, Euro-centered, reformed curriculum, and we're not paying professors and we're not transforming the way that we view and do our seminary to begin with, I, I don't I don't think we'll see much change. But if we're putting into institutions that are sensitive to the things we're talking about, I think we will. Uh, Daniel, what's up, Daniel? Man, all man, y'all here, man. Um How do you think the preferred language of racial unity as opposed to racial justice is framing the dialogue about race in America within the the church, especially in multi-ethnic context? Um,
1: Jim I think I probably hear racial reconciliation more than I do racial unity. I think it's critical to define your terms. So, for instance, reconciliation is a biblical word. And I'm not going to give that up, but I will understand reconciliation in the biblical sense, which requires truth and justice, not just kumbaya, good feelings, right? So it's not sitting next to somebody of a different color in the pew. It's making sure that that person next to you has a just and equitable chance at full human dignity and flourishing, just like everyone else. So defining our terms becomes critical. It's also critical to recognize that for black people— oftentimes the pursuit was justice, not necessarily integration. Integration is not a bad thing, but in times when segregation was legalized, even when you had families like the parents of Ruby Bridges, who integrated, was the only little black girl in her school, the point was to get access to the resources of this better funded, more-resourced institution. And separate was never equal in America. And so what we're trying to do, I think, as we talk about race, is see that there's equality of opportunity, that everybody gets a chance, a a fair chance on a level playing field, rather than, as we've talked about before, the, um, the fact that in America, every system politically, economically, Legally, has been crafted to disadvantage people of color, and so what we are talking about is not just getting in the same room together, which is great, but that's not enough.
0: There are so many great questions that we are not going to get to, but I am going to get as many as possible in the next ten minutes. So we um, just do rapid fire type of thing. No, I mean, okay. <laughs> yeah. this has been good, Jamar. Uh, <laughs> Philip, what's up, Philip? He asked. Who is helping you, or has helped you, authors, public thinkers, theologians, move from doing ethics from a systemic, systematic theology orientation to a biblical theology orientation? Hmm. Um, I would say uh, some that have deeply influenced the way that I do ministry and the way that I speak. Number one is Dr. Gardner Taylor. Um, if you do not know who Dr. Gardner C. Taylor is, um, he's was considered to be, um, for my money, I think he's one of the greatest preachers ever in American history, but he was considered to be by many the dean of preaching. He passed away a few years back and he did ministry, I believe it was in New York. And uh, Gardner C. Taylor is a phenomenal example of of a pastor who has shaped thinking and shaped the way that I approach matters of justice, the Bible, preaching, etc., Someone else who we've had on the podcast, Dr. Kenyatta Gilbert, is a massive influence. Um, man, who else? Who else? Fire away. Fire away, Jamar.
1: So from a, if we're thinking in terms of formal theological categories, from a biblical theological standpoint, as opposed to a systematic theological standpoint, I really... Appreciated J. Daniel Hayes' book, From Every People and Nation, yeah. A Biblical yeah, Theology absolutely. of Race. And so he Michael walks. Em- Michael Emerson. Michael Emerson, yeah, obviously. Um, and so in this book, Hayes walks from Genesis to Revelation and sort of traces God's unfolding plan for a multi ethnic, multicultural, multilingual uh, church that he's forming, which was not an afterthought right. that was um, planned before the foundations of the earth. But also studying U.S. history has really helped shape the way I read the Bible because history is just stories. It's narratives. And so much of the Bible is narrative. And so the more we know about our historical narrative from our experience in the world, the more we can see the patterns laid out in the biblical narrative and connect our experiences to God. Yeah, man, there's
0: so many. I'm, I'm trying to think of more. A lot of the people you don't, Hear about. Um, there's a man named Isaac Rufus Clark, was a phenomenal homiletician, passed on. Um, Bernice King, of course. Uh, man, Akimini Wan. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, Dr. Christina Edmondson. Uh, man, so many. I'll I have to send you a list. Remind me And afterwards. we actually have
1: a list yes, of resources. Yes, we
0: do. Shout out to Aaron James, Pastor Aaron James, for setting that up. But we have a list of resources on the website. Um, theological works.
1: Yeah, by people of color.
0: Okay, just a few more. Derek, what's up, Derek? Um, (laughs) Derek had me on his podcast, Church Folks, so I just want to shout out Derek. Um, What are some practical ways for black churches to invite white churches into a less white-centered unity?
1: That is a question for Jamal. (laughs) Um, You know, I wonder if it's the job of the black church to invite white churches into less white-centeredness. I think the folks' best position to do that are other white folks. Um, You speak to each other, uh, because there are so many white folks who will still look at the black church as, oh, they have a great preaching style, great music, but they ain't theologically on our level. So you know, we don't really have to listen to them, Um, which is obviously a fallacy. But if they hear it from us versus they hear it from someone who looks like them or goes to their same churches, it might have a different effect. Uh, other than that, I would just say to the black church to keep doing what it's doing and all the more so because they'll see what the black church does in the community in terms of preaching themes mm-hmm. and applications yeah. and that in itself just being and existing um, is resistant. Is is yeah.
0: exi- yeah. Yeah. I love this. Thank you, Lauren, for asking this. I know we did one of your questions before, but She asked, please discuss similarities and distinctions between woke and social justice, i.e. inadequacy of terms, specificity of definition and practice. And I just want to ask the woke commission, the president of the woke commission,
1: (laughs) Mr. Woke here, how's woke doing? (laughs) I would say woke has faded into the background. Uh, really, Jamar?
0: Really? That don't mean it's Where wrong. You no, know? wow.
1: It just means it was shocked. a pop culture term. I'm shocked. And they may have moved on to something. <laughs> um, nevertheless, I'm I sorry. Still, I had to do that. I, I know you did. You know, we had a debate about woke and the, Jamar the great won. Woke debate. Jamar won. Yeah, oh, no doubt. He uh, won the battle, and listen. lost the war. No, I just still think it has it has really good symbolic value in the sense of. People who aren't seeing the issues of injustice today are, in a very sense, sleeping. They are blind to, to reality of what's going on. And so woke means waking up. It means seeing and all of those things. But she was asking about the difference between that and social justice. Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, terms. What's, I mean, the terms are really interesting in yeah. this conversation.
1: I mean, I don't know. Woke sounds like... To me, you still
0: <laughs> clinging to woke. you like, I'm not letting it that go. Because it was in the
1: question. <laughs> it was in the question. It sounds to me like a disposition of being concerned about issues of justice, social justice. So, so wokeness has to do with awareness. Social justice has to do with activism. Um, yeah. And so, what are you doing mm-hmm. about those issues?
0: Uh, resist pro- programming. Uh, shout out to you. It said, any thoughts on Christian brother Eric Reed not being signed yet in the NFL? Bob McNair's retracting his inmate's apology, the recently formed Players Coalition deal some NFL players made with owners. I think it's a great question. I don't necessarily know. I'm not as plugged into the inner workings of the NFL anymore after I let it go. Um, <laughs> kind of just, uh. But I, I am familiar with Eric Reed uh, not being signed yet. Um, It's it's what's going to continue to happen if there are no consequences. And what did Eric Reed do? He spoke out, and he is an activist, social justice justice activist, in conjunction with Colin Kaepernick and others. And he's just not been signed yet. Uh, Something happened medically with him, and he was released. And then you know now he's, I mean he's a he's a very serviceable safety from what I understand, and just not being signed. He'd be great to be have on the podcast, by the way. He would, he
1: would, and and it's just. uh, a guest we had on on our last show talked about how in the 50s and 60s, in King's Day of the Civil Rights Movement, racism was as in your face as a sign that said for whites only or for coloreds only. And now racism is quote-unquote slicker, right? So this is the way racism is operating. We won't call Eric Reed the N-word. We won't say you can't come into our building. We just won't sign you. Hmm. We lock you out. I think parents should pay attention to Pay
0: attention. Parents of college athletes, pay attention. Um, just two more, and then we'll get out of here. Sam, yes, did you have a chance? What's up, Sam? Did you have a chance to get some barbecue here in Dallas <laughs> would you like to i'll treat i mean we're leaving in like two hours <laughs> yeah we got a
1: flight tonight otherwise but, no question yeah we did have some
0: i'm not going to mention the name because if we mention the name people are like, yeah, oh, no, you like <laughs> oh you went to a tourist we'll
1: was, tell you where we it went was so good the
0: brisket though. was good i don't know yeah. that just i wasn't actually physically there but the brisket was was fire um just one more question you know jamar I, I
1: want to say something real quick. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do it. Black Christians, we need to stop giving a pass to white efforts at reconciliation. We are so eager for this acceptance, right, that we will take any little sign or gesture and just like, oh, you know, we've arrived. And I think that's detrimental to the struggle, Because if folks with power see that we are so easily satisfied, they have no incentive to change. So what does that mean? I love a good sermon challenging white people to recognize issues of racism and justice. I love a good sermon from black people to white people or a broader group along the same lines. I will not, however, be satisfied with that. There are lots of different examples we can talk about. We can talk about diversifying the curriculum of our colleges and seminaries. We can talk about showing um, solidarity with, uh, you know, oppressed peoples in various ways. We can talk about philanthropy and where your money goes. But I just think there are some deep issues within American white evangelicalism that are not being addressed. So it's one thing for a person on a platform or in the pulpit to say it. It's another thing for people in the pews to live it out. And so what I see in the American white evangelical church is a lot of people who are more than ever before on the racial reconciliation train Mm -hmm. and all about being nice to people of color and, and things like that. But I still don't see... Patterns of systemic and institutional injustice changing or ideas behind that changing. So what do I mean? It means it has a lot to do with how you vote. It has a lot to do with how you address issues like police brutality. Mm-hmm. It has a lot to do with your views on the Second Amendment and gun rights because mm-hmm. if you aren't looking at those issues from the perspective of the oppressed, you are going to continue to empower the oppressors. Mm-hmm. And I see that continuing to happen. And until those issues... Are front and center, then I don't know why we're so happy to celebrate these incremental gains. Which I'm not taking away from that. I know people are going to listen to that and, and feel like, you know, white people can never do right, or you think nothing has changed. I'm not saying that. Um, it was John Lewis. He was he was speaking. Uh, at the last event for the MLK 50 events put on the National Civil Rights Museum. And literally, he had a, a fractured skull in the march uh, yeah. to Selma, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And he's like, if you think things haven't changed, just walk a mile in my shoes. Hmm. I was like, yes, sir. I guess things have changed. They have for the better. However, there's a lot further to go. And I think when black people, black Christians, are too eager to celebrate these really cosmetic victories... Uh, we may not be helping as much as we think we are. Well, I think,
0: no, okay. I think that's a question. No, I think that's a great okay. note to end on. Yeah, I just wanted to just, you know, <laughs> I think that's a phenomenal note to end on. But I do want to say before we close out, um, where I come from, honor is a big thing. Honor is a big thing in the Black Church, and I think sometimes we we lose that. And there are people who have passed on, and we commemorate them after they passed on. But I believe in, in congratulating them and celebrating them while they're still here. And we would have never made it to an episode 200. We would never have a to Mike. We would never have the witness without you. Mm. And so I want to honor you, Jamar Tisby. Um, and you don't hear this a lot from people. people. Prophets are terrorized in their time. Prophets are attacked in their time. Prophets are put down. Prophets are ostracized. Prophets are marginalized, but in in the kingdom of God, they'll be celebrated, Mm -hmm. and they'll be rewarded. And I just want to say to you as a brother, I've watched you grow, and I've, I've come up with you in this work, and I just want to honor you for what you have done. You have created a movement, and you have sustained that movement with your faithfulness. Lord have mercy. And so I just want to honor this brother, this gift to the body of Christ. Can we give Jamar a standing (laughs) o'er? Can we give him a standing (laughs) o'er?
1: I appreciate that, man.
0: Thank you so much, Dallas. We'd love to get a picture with all of you and meet all of you, so we'll just kind of be hanging out. Once again, thanks to Life Point Church and our entire team. Team, if you'd run up here. Is team here? Is team here?
1: Come on, run down the aisles. Come on up here.
0: Sprint. Sprint. Everybody sprints
1: Wherever you are. Give it up. Aaron
0: James, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Bo York, ladies and gentlemen. Elodie, ladies and gentlemen i Keely, ladies and gentlemen.